Acts chapter 8. You can find your way there. It's on page 916 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. We shall see that persecution is not a modern phenomenon. God's people have been persecuted as long as there has been God's people. For instance, it has taken place this June in Pakistan when Sobia Nadim, a graduate student in physics and a follower of Jesus, was abducted, forcibly converted to Islam, and forcibly married off to one of her abductors. Happened this July in China when a church was raided for the seventh time in the last two months accusing the Christians of unregistered Christian activities. It happened on June 27th in Lebanon when five Christians were killed by a suicide bomber when he struck the Christian village of Kwai. It happened in August in India when a 66-year-old pastor was beaten on conscience when four radical Hindus stormed the church service. It happened in Russia. This summer passed a new law requiring government permission for sharing one's faith outside the house of worship. It happened on July 7th in Sudan when 14 Christians were arrested and when, by, because they were protecting the Christian school, which the Sudanese authorities are attempting to seize in order to give to a Muslim business. Two other pastors in Sudan are standing trial for crimes against national security and if found guilty, may be sentenced to death. It happened in August in Vietnam when 100 pastors were arrested for refusing to register their churches with a government-sponsored church. It happened on July 3rd in Kenya when Pastor John Kurunga was murdered by the Islamic group Al-Shabaab after leading a meeting to promote the peaceful coexistence between Muslims and Christians. It happened in June in Nepal when eight Christians were arrested for distributing Bibles accused of proselytizing, which is is illegal in Nepal. It happened on September 11th in the Philippines when Perfecto Padilla, a 50-year-old church leader, was gunned down while lying in his hammock by two Muslim men in front of his 12-year-old daughter and 10-year-old son who are now orphans. It happened just a couple months ago in Syria when 12 Christians were crucified after refusing to convert to Islam a 12-year-old boy included among them. And we could go on and on and on. This is the story of God's people that Christians will suffer and continue to suffer for their love of Jesus. There are thousands of these stories and they are not new. The church has faced the hatred of the world just as its founder faced the hatred of the world. And yet, here we are, gathering today to worship Him, to pray to Him, to call upon Him to act on behalf of His people. And not just us here at Hamilton Baptist Church, but literally hundreds of millions of brothers and sisters in every country in this world gathering to worship the God who for many of them will bring hardship and suffering upon them. They do so out of their deep love to Him above anything. His people has, have always 
suffered. And and yet despite this persecution, what happens? The church continues to advance. It continues to grow. In fact, that's probably wrongly phrased. I, I would suggest that we might even say it is because of the persecution that the church continues to advance. I want to show you this morning from the Word of God that not simply can the kingdom of God not be destroyed, but the very method in which the world uses to destroy the kingdom actually causes it to grow. By the great providence of God, He takes the hatred of our enemies and turns it upon its head and uses it to spread the fame and the loving grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, this morning may be tempted to be discouraged. There's a lot of emotion going on in my heart right now. Yours too, I imagine. Maybe you're tempted to be sad, confused, concerned, angry. All of that, I think, would be appropriate. Hopeless? No. Hopeful? In spite of this, maybe even because of this, yes. I want to encourage you this morning that God rules even in the persecution of his people and uses it to bring joy to the lost and glory to his name. Consider this morning Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 8, excuse me, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of God. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying out with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. There are three truths I want to use from this. I want to bring out of this passage to encourage us this morning. And not just to encourage us, but to guide us in our prayers for our persecuted brothers and sisters. We'll spend the bulk of our time on the first truth. That is, the gospel spreads through persecution. Not the gospel spreads in spite of persecution. The gospel spreads through persecution. Or we might even say, because of persecution. Consider verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution. What day? That is the day of the stoning death of Stephen. This, this, this up and coming leader of this church, this young man, this powerful preacher was brutally murdered by the Jewish 
authorities and they they stoned him and on the heels of that murder what a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem we read and so what's the the result of that look read on and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles and so what happens is the Christians fled they 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 got out of town the persecution hits Jerusalem and by the way but, but at this time where was the church in Jerusalem where else was the church as far as we know nowhere else it was just in Jerusalem and there was no evidence that it was going anywhere right no, no evidence that there was any at this time missionary endeavor to take the, the gospel outside of Jerusalem but if you'll remember how the book of Acts began Prior to Jesus ascending to heaven, he said, what? And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you from on high, and you'll be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The church is supposed to be in Jerusalem, yes, but also in Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends. But, but, but no one was going to Judea. And certainly no one was going to Samaria, And definitely no one was planning to go to the ends of the earth. And so what does God do? He uses persecution to send people where? Well, it's right there in verse 1. Into Judea and into Samaria. Now, if if you want, you could read Acts 11, which also describes this scattering from this persecution. And in Acts 11, verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered... Because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Or we might say, to the ends of the earth. Or or at least headed that way. They're going that direction. Now, could, could you imagine what this might be like? If you lived in Jerusalem, this was the only town you probably ever lived in. You lived on your ancestral land. And your father lived on that property before you did, and your father before him, and the father before him. And this is where you know. This is where you work. This is where your neighbors are. This is where your family is. And could you imagine one night, 2 a.m. in the morning, going to your kids and grabbing them out of their beds and taking five minutes to throw whatever you can, just trying to find some cash, throwing it into a bag, and grabbing your kids, and in the middle of the night, literally running for your life. Just getting out of town. You don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going to end up, but you're just running. And you're going to find yourself in a city that you did not know, amongst a people that you did not know, in the midst of... In fact, do you notice verse 3, what's happening? It says, Paul, you want to know what this persecution was like? Paul was ravaging the... Excuse me, Saul was ravaging the church. He was seeking to destroy the church. How? And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Could you imagine what it would be like? And you're sitting down for dinner and there's a knock on the door or not even a knock, they just barge in and they grab your mom and your dad and they just drag them off. You don't know where, there's no explanation. They just, just come in and grab and off they go. And there's this, this young Pharisee named Saul telling them who to get and who to take. And you just, you just, they, your parents just say, get out, go, flee. And you just run for your life. I mean, this is what they're doing. They're, 
they're running. In fact, Paul would say of his former life, according to Galatians 1.13, how he persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And so he's out trying to kill and destroy this church there in Jerusalem, and you're running for your life, scattered to a foreign land, to, to a foreign city, right? You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have a home, you don't have a job, you don't have a church door that you can knock on and say, I need help. You're just there and, and, and in this foreign city, and what do you do when you get there? Well, look in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. I mean, how amazing is that? Because I expect them to shut their mouth. Right? Get your feet planted for a little while, right? Just try to survive, right? Lay low, right? And there may be a time for that, right? But they found shutting their mouth too hard out of their love for Jesus, out of their love for the lost. These common Christians, you know, as all the apostles remain in Jerusalem, this is not the clergy who are doing this. This is just the common Christians out there taking the name of Jesus wherever they go. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, verse 21, again describing the same scattering, we find out what's the result of them preaching. It says, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. People started coming in to the church. People started giving their life to Christ, right? Paul attempts to destroy the church, and it actually is the means for its missionary growth. God uses that to, to scatter his people abroad, and he continues to do that even to this day. Consider what took place in China when Sheng Ji, a young mother and a pastor's wife, was arrested in 20. 14 for her ministry to kindergarten aged children now this family had been preparing as best you can for the eventual arrest of her husband who was a pastor they were totally caught off guard when it was not the pastor who was arrested but his wife she would spend two years in a chinese labor camp working 12 hours a day being served a meager portion of rice with boiled cabbage day after day for two years. During her two-year imprisonment, she was not permitted to see her two sons, aged one and three, when she was arrested. One of her greatest fears, one of her greatest concerns is that when, when she would be released, if she would be released, her sons would not even know who their mother was. She was housed in a prison cell 15 feet, by 15 feet. And I, I measured this morning. That's smaller than my office, just around the corner. She lived there for two years with 15 other women in that same cell. Many of them murderers. Many of them just getting in fights in the midst of that cell. Other women would just sob uncontrollably there in that cell. And in spite of all of this hardship, she discovered this amazing opportunity. To minister. And she began to love her cellmates. And despite her long hours and, and labor, Sheng Ji read the Bible every night and would teach her cellmates hymns and Bible stories, leading them to faith in Christ. And soon, in fact, soon her trustworthiness was recognized by the prison authorities. 
And, and she would say, God is great. It makes me think of Joseph in the Old Testament. After six months, they let me manage all the prison cells. God continues to do things. He's doing it in Yemen. When two years of, of a civil war has shattered this country, everything is on, on its head. Everything is different except one thing, the persecution of Christians. For instance, in t- June of 2016, Muslims interrupted a church service, barging in and beat every man they could find in that building worshiping Jesus. This is the common activity that takes place in Yemen. And yet, despite that persecution, or maybe because of that persecution, and in light of the civil war, raging around them, it has actually brought the Yemenese Christian church together. And they have begun to share resources with one another, like we see in the book of Acts. And they begin to meet daily for prayer and breaking of bread and for worshiping. And the Muslim neighbors are taking note. They're asking questions. Why is it that Muslims kill and Christians just show mercy? And, and, and in fact, Christian workers from Yemen, from all around the country, are reporting a greater openness to Christianity than they've ever seen before. Many Muslims are coming to faith. One local church ministry leader said, every two or three days, we discover a new believer. I want you to understand, in, my, in light of the suffering, maybe even because of the suffering, God will not be stopped. In fact, the very means by which the world uses against the church are the same means by which our God grows the church. Even Tertullian, the second century church father, said, Kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The oftener we are mowed down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of the Christian martyr is the seed of the church. The God will spread the gospel through persecution. This tells me two things. In light of the fact that God, here's two lessons for us, that in light of the fact that God grows the church through persecution, we need, my brothers and sisters, even in America, as we see the tide against us, we need to live with the eyes of faith. We, we, right? We see the persecution around the world, or... Take it home. We see the defeats of the cause of Christ here in America, the setbacks of the church at home, the tide turning against us, and we are way too quick to give up hope. We're way too quick to wring our hands in midst of defeats. If, if we see things with the eyes of God, I think we would see every setback and every trouble and every suffering that's taking place around this world as simply God repositioning His church to live more faithfully for His glory and more powerfully for the advance of Christ. This is how we need to see trouble when the world comes against us. This is how we need to pray. We need to pray that those who are suffering would, 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 had ho- would have hope, would see how God is working. Because I think, you know, think about this. this. Acts 8 Christians or these suffering Christians around this world today, I, I don't think instinctively think, okay, well, this is, God's going to use this. God's going to work. I think the instinct is fear. The instinct is, is discouragement, right? We need to pray for them. We need to ask God to help them to see what He is truly doing to walk by faith even in the midst of hardship. That's the first lesson we can learn from the reality that God uses persecution to spread His kingdom. But here's a second lesson. 
I hope you take this uh, with the kindness that it is offered. We need to beware. I don't know if I want to put it this way, but I'm going to do it anyways. We need to beware of the trouble that not being persecuted brings upon us. Let me, let me try to explain it. We need to beware of the trouble that comfort and plenty offer us. Because in times of ease, in times of prosperity, in times of freedom, in times of safety, there is a tendency which I believe is undeniable for the church to begin to focus upon itself. And we might think, well, listen, if we get all, if we get all the right people elected into office, which someone needs to tell me who the right people are, if we get all the political power and we get all the wealth and we have all the ministry, I mean, we get ministries coming up and down our arms, right? We had all the ministries and the websites and the think tanks and we get all the education and we get all the seminary and we have all this together, right? We have all the freedom and we have all the safety. The church will become this unstoppable force for the fruitfulness of the kingdom of God. And I think we probably see the exact opposite that we become more and more preoccupied with preserving our own freedoms and our own affluence. And God becomes someone who's supposed to give to us and give me this and give me that. And we're angry when he does it. But when hard times come, and like persecution comes, what, is, what happens? Does that not lead to greater fervency in prayer? Does that not lead to a, a less... Uh, uh, we care less about the things in our life that occupy us? Is that not lead to more sacrifice and more power and more fruit? And I think you would even testify this into your own life. Is it not when times of trouble and uncertainty and, and, and suffering in your own life, whether it's persecution or not, does that not make you strong in Christ? Does that not give urgency to your prayers and a refocusing of your priorities? <laughs> See, I think we need to beware of the dangers that comfort and prosperity bring us. Now, I I don't want to be naive. It's it's not that persecution doesn't bring its own challenges. It's not that suffering doesn't bring its own hardships. And neither should we ever seek persecution. That would be presumption. Like, Like, as one pastor said, like jumping off the temple. No, I don't think we seek that. But we ought to be hopeful when it comes. We ought to pray for those who suffer that they would have hope because the gospel spreads through persecution. Second point, and we'll all be quick from here on out. The gospel reaches even persecutors. And we've already heard this a couple times this morning, haven't we? Um, Abigail led us in, uh, in informing us of this incredible story of this man who has been turned by God. And we see it here in this passage. You know, verse 3, it is Saul who is ravaging the church. It is... Saul, who was trying to destroy the church, later he would be renamed Paul and become the greatest, the man who was perhaps the greatest persecutor of Christians, would become its greater missionary of Christians. In fact, when I was thinking about that this week, you see, Paul, when he was persecuting Christians, was 
advancing the church. And Paul, when he was a missionary, was advancing the church. I don't know which which uh, early Paul or late Paul did more for the kingdom of God, but all I know is that God was using him from day one to spread his fame and to proclaim the gospel, right? And, and we see God's miraculous power to turn this man to himself, to take the hatred out of his heart, take that heart of stone out of it, and put in a heart of flesh, put his spirit upon him, and lead this man to to give up everything for the cause of Jesus. And I think, I think if we're honest, we, we, <laughs> it's hard for us to believe that he still does this. Because we know the heart of man, and we see the fiercest critic and the, the strongest opponent to Christianity, and we want to think that maybe they could come to Christ, but I think maybe if we're honest, we say, well, there's not much of a chance of that. And I would just remind you that it's not dependent upon the heart of man. It is dependent upon the power of God. And no one can stop God. And if he wants to claim somebody for himself, I don't care if it's the greatest critic or opponent of Christianity, God can turn the hearts of those who hate Jesus to those who love Jesus. And so you want to pray for the persecuted church? Pray that the Saul's of this world will become Paul's. Number three. Through the gospel, joy triumphs over suffering. Through the gospel, joy triumphs over suffering. I don't know if you notice the contrast in this passage. We begin early verses with persecution, great persecution, ravaging, dragging off, imprisonment, right? Lamentation. And how do we end? Verse 8. So there was much joy in that city right see the the gospel often brings suffering there's no doubt about that it will bring suffering it will bring the enmity of those who hate jesus upon those who love jesus but it ultimately it doesn't stop at suffering ultimately it leads to joy in fact much joy and i would suggest you the joy that it brings lasts far longer than the suffering that we must endure for the cause of christ right it, 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 there is sorrow i don't want to deny that i don't want to once again, be naive and say, well, just get over this. I mean, th- some of these Christians are facing uh, unimaginable sacrifice. And we should be sorrowful for that. We see that in verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and what? Made great lamentations over him. They, they, they weren't going around saying, chin up, this is all going to work out. God's got this under control. Though he did. They were sad. They were broken. They lamented over this tragedy. And yet that sorrow will pass. And joy will come in the morning. Consider, for instance, Cheng Ji, this woman in prison in China. She said, even though I was in prison, I felt like I am happy because I have the joy from God. Verse 8. So there was much joy in that city triumphant joy, indomitable joy, unconquerable joy. 
everlasting joy is the gift of, from God to those who follow Him. An everlasting joy in this life and the life to come. And you can kind of see why they're joyful. Of course, verse 7 is somewhat obvious. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying out with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. I trust there was great delight in that. But I think the main reason for joy is found in verse 5. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Right? He comes and he told them about Jesus. He proclaimed to them the Christ. He told them, as I want to tell you now, that God has sent His Son into the world to save lost sinners like me and you. He did not come simply to teach us or simply to be a model for us, though certainly He did that. He came ultimately to die for us. He came to pay the penalty that my sin had incurred, the the wrath in which I was due from my rebellion against my Creator. He said, Stephen, I will take that wrath upon myself on the cross. And He did it not only for me, but every single person who will bow their knee to Christ, no matter how great your sin. Three days later... He got up from the ground, from the grave, and walked around, first appearing to the twelve, then to 150, and said, just as I told you, I am alive, the payment has been made, and if you will confess with your mouth that I am your Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised me from the dead, you will be saved. I tell you this morning, as I trust Philip told the Samaritans, that Christ alone has the power to forgive your sin. That Christ alone can reconcile you to your Creator. And that He has gone to prepare a place for us. He is making a beautiful place for us. And one day He will come again and receive us to where He is. That we would be with Him forever in a place of no more sorrow. And no more suffering. And no more sadness. And no more tears. Just abounding and eternal joy in the presence of our Maker and our Savior. I say, if you have Christ, no matter how great the suffering in this world, no matter how severe the persecution in this world, joy is yours in Jesus. Much joy. And so let us pray that joy would abound. That joy would abound here amongst the church in America. And that joy would abound amongst the Christians throughout this world. Let us pray one last time for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our Father in heaven, it's... I even feel conflicted in my own heart, a man who has received virtually nothing but ease and blessing in my life. And therefore, I feel in many ways totally inadequate to address this issue. And yet we have your word, do we not? These are truths that I have not learned through personal experience, but truths I believe your word teaches over and over and over again. 
And though my heart, our hearts are sad today, we are not hopeless. And we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters and ask that You would help them to believe that even in the great affliction in which they experience, You are sovereignly ruling. Your providential arm is controlling all events, even the most severe, in order to bring the kingdom farther, to bring in the lost, to proclaim Your fame and the name of Christ. And so help them wherever they may be this morning. And help us with our minor troubles and our minor setbacks that seem to be increasingly frequent. Help us to be people of abounding hope. Help us to live out what we believe that our God reigns even in times of suffering. Father, we pray once again as we've already prayed today for the souls of this world. There are many. I think of the brutal dictators in North Korea. I think of the unimaginably evil people in in ISIS and Nigeria. And, And yet, Father, we have seen it. You have shown us in Scripture and through history that even those You can save. And so work in their hearts, even now. Send Your Spirit upon them. Convict them of their sin now. Convict them of the truths of Christ now. Some of them right now have Christians in front of them. Some of these persecutors are right now harming Christians. Will you let them, will you just cause them to stop right now in the name of Jesus? Will you cause them to stop? That they would have eyes to see what it is that they are doing. Would you call to them as you did Saul? Why are you persecuting me? That they may lay down their hatred and that they may receive the mercy and grace of Christ. Blood-bought mercy and grace. Do a mighty work, Father, even amongst our enemies. And Father, we pray. We pray for joy. We pray for the joy for persecuted Christians like Shang-Chi had in prison. That, that they, they would... They would believe that giving up everything, if they could gain you, gain closer fellowship with you, is worth it. That they, as Paul would say, that they experience fellowship with Christ in their sufferings. And so bring joy to your people. Let all your people, whether suffering or blessed, be people of indomitable joy. A joy that cannot be defeated by the circumstances of life. And that you would do this all for the gain of your children and ultimately for the glory of your name that others may come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Perhaps you would even bring one here in this room that they too would want that joy, that they too would bow their knee to Jesus in faith, calling out to Him, as their Lord and Savior, that they may be saved. We pray it all 
in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.